This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Good evening. Certainly appreciate the prayers on our behalf. They're appreciated and they're needed. I appreciate it very much. If I was to ask you just off the top of your head, a book in the Bible, what book might you pick? Just or even strict it to the New Testament. Just name the first book that comes to mind. It's it's probably not going to be the one we're going to discuss tonight. We're going to look at the book of Jude. And the more I have gone over this book, the more relevant I think it is for our congregation. There's just so much in here. It's a short book, uh, and so it's often overlooked. If you're just flipping through the Bible, you're probably not going to land on Jude because there's just not not a whole lot of content as far as uh, verses, but there's certainly a lot of content there. So we want to look at this book and and see what we can uh, glean from it. So we're going to start off... Uh, Jude verses 1 and 2 says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. So here Jude introduces himself, and I think it's interesting how he introduces himself because he, he says, the servant of Jesus Christ. And you know, how many of us, when we introduce ourselves, say, I'm a servant, a servant of anybody, but do we really, is that the impression that we give, or is that the first thing we tell somebody? The servant of Jesus Christ. He says that he is the servant of Jesus Christ, he's the brother of James, and what's interesting, if you go to the epistle of James, James also introduces himself in that same way, by calling himself a servant. But I think that shows a little bit about his character just to have that mentality of servitude to our Lord and Savior Jesus. But we see what he says here. It says that he, he is writing this message to those that are sanctified by God the Father. And that's not a term we usually use, sanctified. But if you study that term, it just means somebody, something or someone that is set aside for a certain purpose. You might say... I, sanctify this cup for for coffee i'm using it for that purpose of drinking coffee out of it god sanctifies us he he puts us in his service for a certain purpose and then he goes on to say and preserved in jesus christ think about something that is protected or preserved it's it's got a wall or whatever of protection around it so in other words he says i'm a servant of jesus christ and I'm writing this message to those that are set aside for God's purpose that are protected in Christ Jesus, protected by that perfect blood that cleanses us from sin. And then he, mercy unto you, peace and love be multiplied. And just a, a nice greeting. Verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should walk earnestly or that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. This, admittedly, this verse is maybe a little difficult to, to follow. He starts off saying, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. That was, 
perhaps his original intent. He was really looking forward to giving them a message of, hey, this is the common salvation we share, what a glorious thing it is. But perhaps as he thought it out, he says it was needful for me to write. So now he's, for some reason now, he's compelled to maybe write something different and exhort you or encourage you that you should earnestly contend or that you should fight for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. And so I think it can almost be like he was writing that message to, to all of us this evening. You know, it's great to just, you know, share in that joy of the common salvation, but at the same time, we need to make sure that we're fighting or we're contending for the faith. Verse 4, For there are certain men crept in unaware. So he gets to the reason why he feels compelled to write this to us. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So it sounds like perhaps it, it, maybe Jude thought some of the members were getting complacent because it says certain men crept in unawares. Maybe they let their, their guard down. And that's a message for us because if somebody's going to creep in here unawares or fly under the radar, do you think that is that means somebody's going to creep in that back door and come over here and sit beside one of our youth and say, you know, preach some kind of nonsense garbage? Absolutely not. Men that creep in unawares are going to come right through that door. They're going to shake our hand. How you doing? And they're going to sit right in our midst. And that's... Jude is saying, hey, watch out for this because these men, they're, they're good at what they do and they're going to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, awful things, denying the only Lord and Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, we need to be always mindful of anyone that walks in here and anybody that speaks to us when they preach to God, or preach out of God's word, we need to do exactly what the scripture tells us and prepare it, research the word of God and make sure that people are teaching us the truth. And I think this is so very pertinent for us because just in this room tonight, if you take an average age of everybody here, it's considerably lower than a lot of congregations out there. We just don't have men and women in our congregation that have been in the church for 30, 40, 50, 60 years that may be able to just, they know it because they've just lived it so long. You can't substitute experience. So to me, this is just a very relevant verse to us. We need to be able to, to notice when false doctrine may come into our midst because it's going to be disguised. You know, Satan is not going to come in here like the classic image of Satan carrying a pitchfork and look like this awful beast, you know, he's going to look, in a fleshly sense, he's going to look glorious or just like an average Joe. That's how, how Satan gets to us. So we see here that Jude said certain men came in unaware. The people were not even aware of it. And it says, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Again, that may be a... Uh, a verse or a phrase that may be hard to understand, but it basically means if you look at the word church, it's the body of Christ, it's also those that are called out, 
those that are sanctified for serving God. But on the other hand here, you have ungodly men who were ordained to this condemnation or lead people astray. That was like people that were called out for Satan to do his work. That was It happened back then, and it's, you've got the same thing going on today. You have the called out, the church, but you also have Satan's ministers. Satan has his eye on you and me because he knows that he's already got the non-believers. The, the criminals, the people that couldn't care less about serving God, the blasphemers, he's already got them, so he doesn't need to, to spend any time with them on them because he's already got them under his control, but he wants you and I. Have you ever thought of Satan having a trophy case? And I, Can you picture this image, maybe Satan... He has this in his hallway or in his, in his room, and he's just you know, relishing all of his victories over, over his life. Maybe he's in it, maybe just to himself thinking, yeah, that was old sister so-and-so back in 1200, whatever. This was brother so-and-so. And yeah, I took that congregation down there in Arkansas there. But this guy here, Dane Duggar, man, that guy put up a fight. It went to overtime but I got it, and that's, that's my crown jewel right there. You know, we don't want to be part of Satan's trophy case, but he's always hoping to put us in his trophy case. Or maybe you picture a den where you've got a, a hunter maybe sitting in his den just looking at all of his triumphs that, that he's, all these successful hunts that he's had. Just picture Satan there, and let's just say he's going through that and say, I... I got Clint back in 2023, man, that was a good one. I got Brian and, and so forth. We don't want that to happen, but Satan is always on the hunt. We know that he's like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. And we got to be careful that we don't end up in Satan's trophy case. Verses 5 through 7. I will therefore put you in remembrance. Though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. So we see both there the Lord saved the people, and then he destroyed those that didn't believe thereafter. Verse 6, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains, un under darkness unto the judgment of the great day even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. The children of Israel, the angels, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, they suffered. Why? It was because of their poor choices. Nobody made Sodom and Gomorrah give themselves over to fornication. Nobody made these angels do whatever they did. Certainly nobody made the children of Israel after they were saved. Nobody made them turn from God. They did that of their own free will. And if we turn our back on God, we will suffer the, a similar vengeance. Verse 8, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Jude compares the false teachers 
and his time to those he just spoke of in the Old Testament. They are dreamers, and are filthy dreamers is what he said. So perhaps that means they've got their head in, in the clouds or they, they're dreaming up filthy imaginations, defiling the flesh. They despise dominion or they hate the authorities. They speak evil of dignities. And boy, isn't that a description of our society today. Filthy dreamers, look all around us. We live in a filthy society. We live in a society just total disrespect, burning down buildings, and then of course speak, speaking evil of dignities. I mean, that, that's just nonstop. But Jude is comparing these to those that uh, went against God and, and suffered the ultimate uh, vengeance. Verses 9 through 11. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beast, and those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of court. Okay, so there's some difficult things going on here. First of all, verses, verse 9, Michael the archangel contended with the devil over the body of Moses. I'm not going to pretend to tell you exactly how that went down, but I don't think that's the main point here. What he's saying is when the archangel was disputing with the devil, the, the prime enemy, look, how, look what he did. He didn't rail on the devil. What did he do? He let the Lord speak. The Lord rebuked thee. And that's, that may be kind of hard to, to picture because you're going against your greatest enemy. Your mouth is usually the last thing you can control. Think about if you're... I mean, this sounds like a physical uh, duel here, but if you're in a fight, if people are fighting... They're typically not controlling their mouth. I mean, you see these fights recorded. I mean, the mouth, it's, it's awful. But here we have an example. The Michael the archangel, he's in this dispute with the devil, and he just lets the Lord do the speaking. When Jesus contended with Satan, how did he respond to Satan's temptations? Three different verses. When Jesus responded to the devil, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. He also said, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. It has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And boy, wouldn't it be something if we had that level of control. If somebody insulted us, especially for our, our faith, if we could just quote scripture just let God do the talking but as we know in other scripture the one that can control his mouth he is a perfect or a complete man the the tongue is an unruly evil it's just that hard to do and and obviously this is the son of God that says this here but it's certainly something we need to content, uh, consider because there's really never an excuse for using offensive language or railing on someone. That's just not something we find in the Scripture. Also in Luke chapter 4, verses 33-35, through 35, we read, 
And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. Again, just notice how Jesus dealt with the devil. He just let God do the talking. He never saw Jesus or the apostles insulting someone like we may be so quick to do, like you know good, or you know just name calling, those sorts of things. Let God do the talking. If you are really contending for the faith, as, as Jude has told us, let God do the talking. Speak as the oracles of God. 1 Peter 3 and 9. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Again, this is probably not new to most of us this evening. We know these things. Don't return evil for evil. If someone rails on you, don't return that railing. But are we really doing that? Because Jesus certainly would not want us to do so. Railing does not fit into God's service. And if we go back to the point that Jude made earlier about false teachers, be aware of those that creep in unawares, they may, or we see these preachers out in the land that, have, that really feed off the shock value and they put on a big show and all of this stuff, shocking behavior and do all sorts of kind of things for, to ramp their attendance, to get all this attention. But where do we find that in the Scripture? We don't find that anywhere in the Scripture. But when we come up against the enemy, Satan, or one of his ministers, we can go on the offensive without being, or we can go on the offense without being offensive. We can always do that. We can use the Word of God. We can go out and fight the battles, and we can always do that on offense without being offensive. And we have to be really careful if someone claims to be uh, a servant of God and is quoting scripture and then you see behavior that doesn't really fit in with that we have to be so very very careful if we go back to Jude chapter 11 we read woe unto them for they have gone in the way of Cain they've ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward they perished in the gainsaying saying of Kor if you look at those examples, all three of those men, what they did was they put themselves first. Cain was concerned, how come you don't like my sacrifice, God? And he pouted about that. And then he went out and he murdered his brother. Balaam, we see a man that kept going back to God and for money, and he was hoping that God would curse his own people. And he didn't give up. He just kept doing this. He was, as it says here, he... He uh, ran greedily, and that's what he was guilty of. He's thinking about himself. Perished in the gainsaying of Kor or Korah. And if you look at that story, that is where Korah 
and I forget the exact count, 290, I think, men were swallowed up in the earth because they uh, protested or they rebelled against Moses. Again, it was self-centered. It was against the things that we're reading here, and it was not following God's word. But woe unto them, and woe unto us, should we follow that same pathway. Verses 12 and 13. These are spots in your feast of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. This is the only place in the scripture I could find this this term feast of charity. So apparently this was some kind of uh, meal or, or celebration uh, of love that the uh, disciples came together for. These are spots in your feast of charity. They feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Again, false teachers, agents of Satan, they're going to just carry, they'll be right there eating with us. They have no shame in it. They're going to be right there alongside of us. So another warning here. These are spots in those feasts. Be careful. He, he uses some illustrations. Clouds without water, carried about of winds. So a cloud that has, not, it's doing, it's just floating around. It's just all fluff. Trees whose fruit wither, withereth without fruit twice dead. It's just soaking, taking up space. It's dead plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. When the sea rages, this foam comes up. It's not, it's, there's really no substance to it. John chapter 6 and verse 7, he says, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? The apostles, there was only twelve apostles. The 11 other men didn't even know that there was a guy here with them, one of their closest friends, in the midst of Jesus Christ that was going to betray them. And Jesus calls him a devil. Jesus says himself, haven't I picked out 12 of you, but one of you is a devil? And this goes back to the complacency. We can never think that, that this can't happen to us because here... There were men in the presence of the Son of God in the flesh that didn't even realize that one of them was, was a devil. So we've got to be, again, we have to be so careful. Four, verses 14 and 15. And Enoch said, or and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. There's a whole lot of ungodly in this, and especially in verse 15. Just again, a reminder of what's going to happen to those that are ungodly. Again, a warning for us to be careful. False teachers are doomed, and we don't want to get caught up with somebody who's against God. 
These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouths speaking great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, not having the Spirit, I couldn't help as I read, especially verse 16, about men who have these mega congregations who preach a prosperity doctrine and so forth. It's all about money. Uh, There's even one of those leaders that I think said at some point that church is not about God. And you see thousands and thousands of people flock to these men. But we see there in verse 16, it says, they speak the great swelling words, having men's persons in, in admiration because of advantage. They're taking advantage of the situation is what they're doing. It's worshiping God is a coming together. Church is about God. Church is the body of Christ. It's that purpose. But sadly, there are those that use that because of advantage or advantage for themselves. There's 10 words in Philippians 4 and verse 13. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We hear that verse all the time. But a lot of times, this is what is practiced. Or this is even the message that goes out. I can do all things. People will build you up. You can do anything you want. You you can be the best you can be. And they use a lot of flattery. And they leave out the five important words. Five words, through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's Christ that strengthens us. It's Christ that builds us up. It's not a man. It's not ourselves. It's Christ who strengthens us. Verses 20 and 21. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Don't build yourself up on flattery or how great you are, but rather on how great your Savior is. We are part of His body. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 that if we want the glory of man, that's what we're going to get. They have the reward. Great swelling words. Go out on the street corner and pray. You're looking for the reward, the attention of men, and that's what you'll get. But unfortunately, that's all you'll get. Building ourselves up is about humbling ourselves to God, which seems like a contradiction. How do we build ourselves up by bringing ourselves low? Well, that's something that's spiritually understood. As we know, God... Resist the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Jude chapter 22 and verse tw- or verses 22 and 23. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Different people need help differently. You might read this verse and think it's making a difference, make a difference in somebody's life, and certainly... Uh, you would be doing so, but I think what the gist of this is is make a determination. 
some people, in ver like in verse 22, some have, you need to treat very tenderly, just have compassion. Maybe there's some issue that they're dealing with, and maybe you take a certain uh, course of action to bring them to the gospel or build them up if they're already in the church. Then make a distinction between those that are described in verse 23. Save others with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. This would be somebody that is in dire straits, somebody that has nothing positive in their life. Get them out of that fire with all that you've got, hating the garment spotted by the flesh. If you're pulling somebody out of the fire, you don't pull them out, put all the fire out, and leave their shoes on fire. No, you, you get rid of the garments, and you need to do this if you're helping somebody spiritually hate those garments, those garments that are spotted by the flesh. Get rid of them. And so what we're talking about, different. there's a different method we may take, and we have to be able to make that distinction to the best of our ability. Last two verses of the, of the book of Jude. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. Not glory to us, certainly not glory to false teachers, but glory to God. So Jude has warned us to not be caught off guard. Because the threat of false teachers is real. It is, it's, it's been there since the church was established or shortly thereafter, and it's not going to go away. We're always going to have this threat of someone coming in and just preaching maybe something that's a little off at first, and it doesn't take very much of a change in direction until you're, you're far away from the truth. God will keep us from stumbling if we stick with Him, and that's both individually and as a church. So I'm going to conclude my thoughts there. I hope these things have been a benefit to you. Like I said, it's not Jude is not the most popular book, of course, but I think there's a, a lot there that we can certainly learn from. We haven't spoken on the first principles tonight, but if you're subject to the gospel call, you'd like to be baptized or... If you've already taken that step and you need the prayers of the church, we ask you to come forward while we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.